0: Welcome to today's episode of Talking Tech. My name is Freddie. I'm joined today by Jordan. You might recognize our voices from the commercial tech line where we help technicians in need get through their day.
1: If there's a question you would like us to cover, please use the questionnaire or find us on the tech line at 1-800-662-3587 and on serviceconnections.org, both linked below. As always, you can find Talking Tech on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, and Podcasts. Just search up Talking Tech, brought to you by Whirlpool Corporation.
0: All right, Jordan. So today we're going to do a little bit of uh, some Q&As here. So we've had some questions submitted uh, via our form. So again, thank you guys for that. Uh, so we're going to start off by answering that and then maybe getting in, into some scenarios, right? some service calls that we've recently received where you know we had a initial complaint, and then after speaking with the technician, we might have found a perception issue, or kind of went in a different direction in which the the service call started in on one end, but actually went to another.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Freddie. So our first question that we actually received via the questionnaire that's linked below uh, comes from a tech named David, who was working on an MVW eighteen. Now, for those unfamiliar, uh, that is pretty much the predecessor to the Mat twenty, the current gen commercial top load washer from Maytag. Um, now, his question is about getting a tip. Uh, from us on a noisy top load commercial washer specifically the mvw18 in which the machine starts doing a little bit of noise and then over the next few months it kind of got very loud during the spin and extract step so it sounds like we started with maybe you know a slight hum or some sort of noise and that escalated over the next few months to be a really loud noise in spin or extract Uh, so freddie what are your thoughts on that matter just with that little bit of info
0: yeah, so first of all, you know, thank you, David, for sending that question in there. Um, obviously, a little vague there. You know, we started with the noise and it got louder. That could be a couple of different things. Uh, the first thing that I would want to do is basically let's isolate where that noise is coming from. Assuming that the noise is coming from the bottom of the machine, obviously, that's where all our components live. Now, there are two major components that are most likely going to make some noise, uh, two or three. One of them being the motor, next being the transmission, the third being the pump. So those are our bigger moving parts that might cause noise. Starting off with the motor here, you know, those motors rarely go bad themselves. But I have seen in the past, if there's submersion water, maybe the motor bearings go alone. That would be an easy check, right? The first thing that I would do there is separate the motor from the transmission. And you can just simply do do that by removing the belt, right? After you remove the belt, then you actually want to go into your service mode. And you want to go to your P04, right? So you open up your service lid or take out your jumper. Press and hold delegates. Uh, Use the second button from the left until you see P04. Hit start. And now when you're in P04, this is going to be your, your basically your manual outputs test. So you are physically turning on outputs. What I want you to find here is L07 or L08. Those are going to be your agitations, right? So we're not really depending on any type of speed sensor to do any type of uh, reading there so agitation no speed sensor required spin speed sensor required right so we want to stick with agitation so we don't throw a fault code
1: yeah and it's important to know too that you do have to lock your lid for this test as well yeah great um, point. before you can get to the agitation so this that'd is, be your L00 this is
0: why we brought Jordan here to, to keep me on point <laughs> so after you lock your lid first and then you try to turn on your agitation at that point you know, your motor should be separated from your transmission and see if you have any type of bearing noise that's isolated to the motor area. If that is not the case, then we can take the motor out of question. Again, this is not a chronic issue. Uh, This is not something that you see commonly. I have seen one machine personally myself start off as a motor bearing issue uh, that was perceived to be a transmission issue. But once we separated the two, we found out that there was some water damage on that motor because that motor was submerged for whatever reason and therefore causing a noise, obviously bearing noise is gonna get worse over time. So that would be the first scenario. Uh, Jordan, do you have anything anything to add on the motor or
1: moving on from there? I uh, know, so I was just gonna say, that's a very good point, Freddie. right? The motor is obviously the thing that's driving the whole system, but obviously there's a little bit more beyond the motor, right? So say David kind of does this isolation, finds out that the motor is not the issue. I would say that his next step here would really be looking at the splotch assembly, which for those unfamiliar, it's basically two sets of plastic gears, uh, one that's kind of built into the pulley, and the other one that is essentially moving up and down just above that on the base of the transmission the whole purpose of this is basically to either engage the plastic teeth like two gears locking in or disengage them and this is what allows the machine to either just move the agitator or move the entire inner tub assembly so if those teeth say are engaged but maybe they started to slip and that was the initial noise he heard and then that got worse because the gears got stripped out that could be a very loud sort of plastic on plastic a little bit of metal on metal noise um that you could be hearing now normally um to your point freddie would like the motor and kind of how long has it been making this noise how long has it been sitting normally you know eventually those gears are just going to get totally stripped out and it's it's probably not going to do anything at that point but it's still something worth looking at just to see if there's any play any slop to it um and that would be probably my next step after the motor
0: absolutely so initially when the shifter either engages right and we try to couple the gears or, or or basically separate them sometimes you get a click and Jordan, I think a visual here would be look at the teeth. Obviously, is there any worn out plastic, but are the teeth rounded out the two, the top and bottom gears? I'm just going to call them gears for simplicity's purposes here when they touch when they go to engage. Do they slip Do the teeth look rounded? Right. That might give you on initial startup that might give you some noise. If you're not lucky, they're going to slip and it might cause some noise there um, or it might grab. Right. If the, if it's not too bad, but that's another place where we might get some noise. Uh, moving up higher there, we have we have the transmission. Now, the transmission should not be making noise unless we don't have any gear oil in there. So the transmission is a sealed unit. That means that basically no water should be getting in and no oil should be coming out. Obviously, once in a while, maybe due to belt tension, something skewing the, the the pulley down below, you might get some uh, some gear oil that might come out. That's very easy to check, right? Do you have any oil around there? Oil should only be coming from one place, which is one of the seals on the transmission. If that is the case, that transmission, unfortunately, needs to be replaced, and that might be where the noise is coming from. Now, I would say, you know, again, how often do transmissions go? Not that often, but when you see any type of oil, it should be replaced. Right. So, Jordan, what would be a third place for us to look for a noise down below?
1: So another kind of moving part or thing that makes noise down below beyond just the transmission, the shifter and all that is really our drain pump. Right. So sometimes if there's a problem with the drain pump, say something stuck up in it, and it's making like a really loud noise um, that could be confused for something to do with the motor. Now, he mentions the noise getting, you know, worse over time and happening during the spin and strats that we would normally be draining at that point as well. So it would make sense for our drain pump to be active. So maybe, you know, make sure the tub's empty, take the drain down, check it. Is there any sort of uh, crack to it? Is there anything stuck in it that you can clean out? Um, And then to your point earlier about kind of isolating the noise, that same P menu where we do the agitation, you can actually do L03, which is going to be a drain pump. Activated So that way you only activate the drain pump, nothing else hooked up, and you can see if that is where the noise is coming from.
0: Yeah, and and we've gotten complaints in the past where a brand new machine has been noisy and it's really just the pump running dry, right? So for whatever reason, let's say we had an issue with the drains where uh, we had some type of siphoning effect, water came out, or we had some type of back pressure coming back into the machine, and now that pump thought that there was water in the basket when there wasn't any at all. Well, now we're running dry, right? So you're going to get some type of mechanical noise when there isn't any water down there. Now, that noise isn't going to get worse over time. That should, you know, once you add the water, it should go away. But still, something to definitely look at just in case. You never know. Maybe that pump has just had better days and it's time to change it out. All right. So thanks, David, again for sending in that question.
1: Yeah. Hope this helps.
0: Now, the next segment here we're going to move on to is basically we're going to just call these common misconceptions. So, we're going to talk about some service calls that we received or that that we've dealt with lately that might have started off in one fashion right with the information that we were given and after digging into it a little bit the basically the resolution might have changed right so we have a different end result than what we started with here so jordan what do you have for us today
1: uh so one of the ones that was actually a, a pretty good call that i had to take um that i feel like i actually even learned a little bit on working with the tech was uh A complaint on a front-load commercial Maytag washer, uh, pretty much model number MHN33, Um, and the complaint was that at the end of the cycle, when we're getting ready to go into the final spin, just at that six-minute mark, we get a no H2O error code. The machine kind of just tumbles around for a little bit, and then it ends the cycle, unlocks the door, and leaves about an inch or two of water left behind sitting in the tub. Now, there was a lot of misconceptions in this exact scenario. Um, First, the tech thought, okay, maybe the pump isn't draining well, but as we know, we didn't have two inches of water throughout the whole cycle, right? So the pump wouldn't have just left these two inches of water behind after draining out the other water that was in the tub throughout the whole cycle. So we kind of deviated from that. Um, That was the initial misconception. And then we started to kind of talk about what if the pressure sensor is bad, right? So that was another misconception of, oh, my pressure sensor is bad. Okay. But again, it worked throughout the whole cycle. Everything seemed to be working up to this point. Why did it just suddenly fail at the final spin? Now, after kind of digging around, looking throughout the machine, it was kind of determined that actually, what was happening is we were missing water flow during our final rinse. So on the mhn 33 you have two cold valves. They're one unit, but it's a double solenoid valve, a two-way, and the hot valve is one single coil. One of those cold valves is used for rinse, one is just used for main wash, and then together they may do different things as you kind of deflect water. But the important part to note is that our rinse valve is going to be different than what we use to fill. So in the case of this crawl. Basically, we were getting down to the final rinse portion of the cycle, and we weren't getting any water. So the machine was waiting for water, and it was just kind of sitting there doing its thing, never got any water, and then it would fault out with this no H2O error and end the cycle. So it actually ended up, what started out as like a possible maybe drain pump thought to be bad or a pressure sensor hose or pressure sensor being bad ended up actually just being a cold valve that was a bit dirty. Uh, We had to clean out the actual diaphragm, and then that was able to actually resolve the issue.
0: So what you are saying, Jordan, is that, Basically, the issue could not be seen until the rinse portion or the very last rinse of the cycle, right? Which is the one place where that other side of the water valve is used. So one thing that I try to uh, remind the text is that, yes, like you said, Jordan, there are two. There's a one inlet, two outlet for the cold valve. The one on the left side looking at it from the front is primarily in charge of doing all the fills up until the very last rinse, right? Around eight minutes left in the cycle or so. The one on the right-hand side is only responsible for filling the soap tray when we have 10 to 8 minutes left in the cycle, specifically for our last rinse. So it is solely responsible for filling the entire basket through the softener compartment only. So if we have a reduced flow there, we're going to get a no H2O. So another thing to remember here is no H2O is a precursor to no water. So no H2O basically means we didn't have enough water in the cycle in X amount of time. If that continues, then we will get a no fill. So no H2O really makes sense here. Now, a real quick way to test this is is if you actually open up the the machine to the top lid and you gain access to the to the valves when you're running a a, uh, quick overview cycle or manual overview, you can actually just disconnect one valve at a time. Obviously, use the correct precautions here. When you're working on a machine, um, we do have, you know, 120 volts AC going to that valve. So before you start it, you could disconnect one side of the cold valve at a time. The reason why you would do that is because during those quick cycles, they both turn on at the same time. So if you were using the quick cycle as a reference, it was actually fooling you. Because even if you had slow flow on one and regular flow on the other, they're both filling at the exact same time. So you want to make sure the only way to really test it is you want to make sure that... You disconnect one side at a time and whichever one has that reduced flow or no flow at all. And we can verify that we have 120 volts to that valve is the one that you want to go after. This is a lot quicker than just sticking through a 30 plus minute cycle, waiting for that 10 minutes to 10 to 8 minutes to come and then finding out now you have the issue, right? So to verify the issue quicker you can basically do a quick overview and only leave one valve plugged in at a time, specifically the cold valve on this one, pick and choose which side you wanna leave connected and then run it. Once you're satisfied with that, plug in the side that you just tested and disconnect the other one, run the same test again. That might get you a quicker answer. All right, so moving on to another scenario that I dealt with in person. Um, we have a, a MLG 30 or MLG 45 with a CompuTrack style board. This is a Maytag machine. Uh, or Maytag branding machine. And in this case, we were getting a D1 and a D17. So D1 and D17 are basically the exact same code, one's for top pocket, the other one's for bottom pocket. What it's basically stating is that the machine is not heating up one degree over 40 seconds, right? So the only real way for that to happen is if we didn't ignite, right? So the machine starts, our sales switch kicks in, our motor's going, board sends power to the, uh, to the heat circuit, the ignition box you know does its thing and should ignite the gas uh this code is saying that that never happened right or at least that we did not see a one degree rise in temperature over x amount of time in this case the technician what he did was he was actually finding the burner high limit that was popped or open and because he was tired of going back and resetting it um What he did was he changed it from a manual reset, which means that you have to physically push in a button, right? It was designed that way. They changed it to an auto reset. So auto reset, main difference there is once the thermostat drops below a certain temperature, it will reset itself automatically, right? It's in the name. So he thought that that was the solution. But in reality, that doesn't fix the main issue here. We know that burner high limit is opening and therefore cutting power off to our ignition module. So, the real question here was, why was the burner high limit opening? The solution shouldn't be to re- replace it with one that you don't have to come back and service. The solution should be, what is causing the high limit to open? So, in this case, actually, the, the end result was that the exhaust was not up to spec and causing exhaust to back up. So, when we had a high demand of exhaust flow, the high limit would trip. So, really, the answer there is external to the machine, right? It wasn't that the high limit was faulty. It wasn't that the ignition module was faulty that wasn't that the nothing inside the machine was faulty the machine was trying to save itself by opening that high limit and we had to look externally to the exhaust because the exhaust could just not move enough air um you know there was nothing wrong with the machine right the machine was trying to save itself
1: yeah, it's funny Freddie that you kind of mentioned that call being resolved in the right way about you know possible exhaust issues and not moving enough air because I, I had a call that was pretty much the opposite. We we're actually moving too much air in the exhaust uh, as a result of a booster fan. So it's never really recommended to use a booster fan with any of the equipment because you're you're really getting into territory where you're adding a lot of uh, sort of failure points to the system um, and it, it can complicate things. So we definitely don't recommend using a booster fan. But obviously, like anything else. Some people do, and uh, I had a call from someone wondering why they were getting a sail switch closed fall. Um, Now, for those who kind of don't know, in brief summary, the sail switch is basically, as Freddie said, responding to airflow. Good airflow, it closes. Bad airflow, it stays open. Um, The idea is that at the beginning of a cycle before we start, we have an open sail switch showing that there's nothing running. And then when we start the cycle, our fan comes on, creates good airflow and vacuum, and then pulls that switch in to say, okay, we're good to go. Now, in this customer's case they're showing the sales switch is closed before the cycle even starts so it's kind of working backwards essentially um, in their case here they had a booster fan installed upstream of their machine and the problem was they had it running at all times so the machine was basically instead of using the fan in the machine to close the sail switch there was a fan somewhere else in their ducting just pulling air constantly so it was holding the sail switch shut so it was a little bit of a misconception on their part. They were like, oh, is the switch bad? Why is it stuck closed? Do I have to replace it? What Can I bypass it? And, of course, you can never bypass these safeties. They're there for safety reasons, right? So like Freddie said, a machine with a burner high limit issue is trying to save itself. So if you try to bypass that, you're preventing it from doing its job, right? In the case of the sales switch, if you're just going to try to bypass it, you're not allowing the machine to proof that there's good airflow and that could obviously be a big concern. So a little bit of a misconception on their part on the purpose of the switch and what it should do. Um, but we kind of got that corrected, told them exactly, you know, how to fix that situation. And they've been up and running ever since.
0: So the technician was going after the part via the fault name, right? So sale switch error or sales, switch open sales, closed. So he went after the part, which is called a sale switch. Um, but again, if a fuse blows, if a high limit opens, it doesn't mean that that part is faulty, per se, is doing its job. So the sail switch wasn't closing. The way I always like to look at it is, what is the responsibility of that part? If the high limit, is, its uh, job is to open at 190 degrees Fahrenheit, manual reset or auto reset, and it open, technically, the part did its job. If a fuse on a board blows, the fuse is there trying to protect the board. So the fuse did his job, right? It is the bodyguard of the system. So I can't fault the fuse for doing his job. What caused that fuse to blow? Now, that's an extremely easy concept to, to say, but one that is often forgotten. All right, so that's it for today. I want to thank David for sending in his question. Again, we encourage you to send in information here. It actually gives us material to go off of here. Um, so, Jordan, that being said, where can you find us?
1: So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, Pocket And if you want to contact us, you can do so, like Freddie said, the questionnaire, or you can email us mdl-talkingtech-grp at whirlpool.com. You can also find us on serviceconnections.org or on the tech line 1-800-662-3587. Alrighty, till next time.